Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the ITAM Review Podcast. I am your host, Rich Gibbons, and joining me today I've got Software One and specifically from Software One I've got Kevin Hooten and Shadi Koshab, who are joining me today to talk through some predictions that they, uh, Software One very bravely made uh, a couple of years ago. And we're going to take a look at those today and see how they're holding up in this year that is 2020 and, and all the things it's brought us. So I think it's going to be you know, very interesting to see how things have changed and how we think they will change. So before we get into that, let me, uh, I'm going to ask Kevin and Charlie to introduce themselves, tell us who they are, what they do, etc. So uh, over to you, Kevin. Great. Thank you, uh, Rich. Appreciate it. Um, so my name is Kevin Hooten. I am uh, out of North America here in the great state of Texas, uh, where it's uh, about 100 degrees today. Um, I, uh, what I do for Software One is I'm responsible for the North American uh, uh, SAM group, uh, so Software Asset Management Group Consultancy. I've um, been doing it for about five years, and prior to that, I ran a, a, a fairly large managed service program for one of the largest telecom companies in the world uh, for about five years as a, as a consultant for KPMG. And prior to that, a number of stints in kind of strategy and management consulting. So uh, happy to join you guys today. Awesome. Great, great to have you with us. And Shadi? Thanks, Rich. Hi, everyone. Yes, my name is Shadi Koshab. I'm a product manager at Software One. So I have been with the company for uh, just just try of five years as well um, in various roles within the UK business first as a solution specialist and most recently um, as part of our innovation and technology team responsible for ensuring that our SLM or software lifecycle management services are always relevant to the market and best of breed. Um, so I work with our uh, service and regional leads, uh, Kevin being one of them very closely to make sure that we stay relevant to our customers and we're always helping them to achieve their business goals and outcomes related to ITAM. Happy to be here today. Awesome. So we've got some uh, some excellent experience b- b- between the two of you there to, to help us through this podcast today. Um, but before we get into that, uh, we're where Kevin said it was 100 degrees, to, to the English, that seems crazy. So I've just worked it out on my phone. It's about 38 degrees in English, um, which is still about double what it is here. So, so yeah, um, first place I ever went in America was Texas So I, I in July. So I, I know what that, that Texas heat is like. Um, yeah. so, so for once, I'm, I'm happier with the English weather. <laughs> uh, um, but the you know the, the important bits out of the way you know the weather um let, let's kind of dive into 
into what we're here for today. So as I said at, at the top, um, you, I think it was you, Kevin, made some predictions in, in 2018 as to where you thought the market was going based on, on what you were seeing at the time. And I think you know the idea of revisiting those now uh, a couple of years in, especially with, with COVID-19, uh, to help things along. Uh, be interesting to see you know, what's changed, what's the same. So the, the first prediction that, that I, I saw was around uh, ROI expectations of return on investment for, for Sam. So if you could kind of tell us what you predicted then and you know, how that's playing out now, and can have a little little chat about that. That'd be cool. Yeah, no, uh, appreciate it. The um, the first prediction, yeah, was around ROI. Um, what uh, we had predicted was by the year 2022. So this was a, a about a five year projection period. We had predicted that the failure rate for SLM initiatives would reach um, about 25 percent. So about one in four projects. Um, where and we define this as where a customer would essentially quit their effort altogether and perhaps even abandon the investment because of the inability to to make the information useful right um, we also predicted that 50 percent of customers who endeavored a SLM program would fall woefully short of of their ROI expectations and so um, kind of the current reality is that you know the first question I get asked a lot is well what is what is the ROI expectation for uh, a, a SAM investment and um, we do a lot of this work here um, as part of what one of our services it's called the diagnostic service we build help customers build fairly robust business cases and so what we typically see in in terms of ROI is about 500% conservatively, right? And, and then I get immediately get, get the reaction, wow, that's that's a really big number. Is that possible to get a five times return? But when you start thinking about the magnitude of software within a lot of these companies and the the general inefficiencies that there that there are, whether that's in um, you know Oracle, IBM, or just reharvesting and and tool overlap, right? There's a lot of inefficiencies. And so, so um, that's the first question is, is, you know, is how big does it get? And so when we did our analysis for the first half of, of this year um, and going back to 2019, we analyzed our ROI that we've achieved for our top 20 customers in North America. And what we found was we found $321 million worth of identified savings, right? So that's about 18 million dollars um, per uh, per customer right and so uh, your initial reaction is wow that's that's really good um, there's so so the answer I think first of all is there is plenty of benefit um, to justify these programs but but then you kind of peel back the layer a little bit and you start looking at you know soft costs versus hard costs and are these pay, these programs really paying for themselves? Um, turning savings opportunities into action, um, that's a bit of a different story for, for some customers. It's oftentimes much harder to, you know, remove a piece of software from a, a customer's or, or a client's uh, environment. If you've ever tried to do that, you know, you'll get a million and one excuses why if you take, you know, that Visio license away from somebody, <laughs> or that Visio 
you know, the, the ERP system is going to break, right? So, so turning opportunities into, into hard dollar savings can often be a, a bit of a challenge. Um, what we found, though, when we analyzed that was there still is enough uh, hard cost savings, about $1.8 million per customer, um, just in the last, let's say, year and a half. So inevitably, what that means is, is there is enough dollars to, to support the ROI um, or the initial investment. Now, whether or not that falls short of expectations, um, you know, it, it probably does at this point, right? Unless you include soft cost. The soft cost portion, and what I mean by soft costs are those, those savings that you get from avoiding certain costs, right? Things like having to pay massive audit penalties or a massive true up, um, being able to, instead of repurchasing licenses, reusing licenses, right? Some of that can all be considered soft cost or soft or, or cost avoidance. If you include those dollars, yeah, the numbers can, can get very, very high very quickly. And so back to the initial prediction, um, you know, are we still seeing a failure rate of about 25%? Um, the answer is yes. Um, part of the issue has to do with the skills gap that we're seeing in the general ITAM and software asset management space is, is probably everybody knows. I think even ITAM review, you guys predicted that the skills gap would worsen since I think 2017. We're seeing salaries rise on an average of I think 15% in the last two years, right? It's really hard to find licensing experts who know how to not only run these programs, optimize these costs, manage these tools, um, uh, but and, and that's one of the reasons why, especially in the post-COVID world, as people are either furloughed or moved to other strategic projects, um, you know, achieving these ROIs becomes more difficult, right? And so, um, so the failure rate really has not improved. We still see that one in every four prospects who we talk to are not achieving the ROI or any ROI at all. And, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with getting to trustworthy data and having these systems, you know, be a source of truth. And if you can't do that, then, yeah, you're going to be you're going to be stuck in a quagmire, this kind of this, uh, you know, this circular reference um, and not really being able to drive true ROI out of these programs. So it hasn't gotten better is the is the answer to, to the first prediction. I suppose equally, it's not got worse. So if it just depends, glass half full, half empty kind of thing. Um, I mean, it's some of the points that you make there are, are very interesting. Uh, and I think I'm sure they will resonate with lots of the people listening. Um, you know, you, you touched on towards the end there the, the impact of COVID-19. Uh, you know, it's difficult to talk about anything in 2020 without the the impact of COVID-19 coming into play. Um, I think it's, it's an interesting one because I, I agree with you there that the you know coronavirus will potentially exacerbate some of these problems and, and make them worse. But equally, I, I think there's a, an opportunity for ITAM to say, look, you know, everything's going a bit wrong at the moment if you give us what we need or you know whether that's money people focus 
actually ITAM can be really, really useful and really strategic to helping businesses get through the, this kind of coronavirus period. Um, and I think that, that kind of ties in quite nicely with your your second prediction, which was around the the strategic importance of ITAM. Um, so, so my feeling, as I've said, is that, that there's an opportunity for, for ITAM at the moment, but it would be very interesting to, to hear kind of what you thought the, the business strategic side of ITAM was going to look like and how you're seeing 2020 impact that. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, so our, our second prediction had to do with, um, yeah, the strategic nature of ITAM and, and SAM programs. And so back in 2018, um, we, we thought that about 30% of all SLM programs would be considered strategic. And when I say that, what I mean by that is, is that, you know, typically there's an executive sponsor that resides in kind of the, the CXO level. Um, the, the initiative is not just about bean counting, as I call it. It was typically, you know, these strategic initiatives have more to do with business intelligence and being able to surface all of this great, you know, hardware and software information back to the business so that they can utilize it and make, make uh, important decisions. Um, you know, and, and 30% might not sound like a lot, but um, that, you know, again, most, most of what we see from customers is still fairly reactive, right? They're, they're wanting to respond to, uh, you know, an urgent audit issue. Um, they're wanting to respond to, you know, uh, a technology need, right? And so it's typically very reactive. And so it takes a little while for, for some customers to understand or build a strategy that takes these programs to a strategic level. But, but that was the, the hypothesis and the expectation was about 30% of these programs would be considered um, strategic. And this was in a kind of an alignment with what we were seeing with um, some of the Gartner research. Um, so, you know, again, post COVID, I think there's kind of this initial whiplash right after, you know, COVID hit where of course everybody just kind of went into survival mode. Right. And so, we did have a lot of customers that um, that moved people, uh, delayed you know projects, uh, shifted people around within the organization and furloughed. So kind of that was the temporary impact. But I think the longer term impact is is I agree is that um, we're going to get back to business pretty quickly. Um, you know the economy pre-COVID was in in relatively good good shape. Um, you know, the expectations for 2020 were to, was to, you know, be a, a very robust year. At least I know for, in our business it was. And so, um, so has the shift kind of to, you know, considering these strategic um, 30% of these happened? I think the answer is, yeah. I mean, we're, we're definitely talking to more and more customers these days that are, uh, we call it digital supply chain, right? When we can take a company's procurement systems and integrate them uh, with, let's say, other technologies that uh, whether it's, you know, software one technology or whether it's other vendors, you know, for application reharvesting, whether it's, um, you know, our backbone to provide a seamless uh, exchange, right? When you, from ordering all the way through to delivery of software, the entitlement management, the renewals management, more and more companies are wanting to talk about kind of an integrated ecosystem, right? So 
you know, how do I get customers their software faster? How do I make their ordering processes easier? How do I, how do I build these, you know, this integrated roadmap end to end that makes, you know, um, even though I'm working with three or four different vendors, how do I build an, a seamless ecosystem? And we're starting to see more and more customers wanting to talk to us about, again, what we call digital supply chain or sometimes uh, referred to as zero touch. So, um, so again, I, I, I would say your hypothesis that, um, that this is a great opportunity for ITAM to step up and take the lead. I think it, it is, um, if, you know, especially for those companies, I think the only, the only, the only thing I would caveat is I think there's a timing issue, right? Some companies are, are doing super well. Some are still struggling getting through this COVID survival mode. But I think as they come out of that kind of that, um, you know, that, uh, that problem area, they're going to return to, I don't want to ever say business as usual, but they're going to return to a steady state. And, and it is a great opportunity to elevate the conversation and really take uh, ITEM to the next level. Totally agree. Yeah, it's interesting to, to hear, you know, what, what you're seeing in terms of, you know, more customers coming to talk to you about these things. That, that's a positive sign, definitely. Um, I, I guess uh, you, you said at, at the start uh, around it, it being strategic if you've got a exec sponsor in, in the C-suite. And, it, it, you know, not to put you on the, on the spot, but if we've got someone listening, you know, they're, they're looking after ITAM and they haven't got that exec sponsor, um, are there any sort of, you know, tips or, or anything that you can share as to how someone could perhaps go about you know, starting to build that exec relationship. Um, yeah, let me first start with why it's important. So there's a great um, there's a great study by Gardner a couple of years ago. Uh, it's called, I believe, uh, Sam is now a, a C-suite imperative. And if you go through that research, why it's important is um, what they found was you're about three times more successful in these ITAM and Sam initiatives if you have um, somebody at the C-suite responsible, right? And that's your stakeholder. And um, so that's kind of why, right? It's, it's super important to have elevated that conversation, to have the buy-in and to have the accountability all the way from the C-suite down, right? You're going to be more successful. So that's really why it's important. Now, how you go about doing it is, I think you have to, again, go back to the business case, right? Um, and think about what the strategy is, right? If all you're going to try and do is, is be reactive to audits with your SAM program, yeah, it's probably, you know, it's probably not going to get the visibility that, you know, a senior, you know, somebody in senior IT is going to have interest in, right? However, if your strategy is based on, you know, taking all of this great hardware and software data, merging it with your CMDB information, and surfacing that back to the business so that they can make really important security decisions, make certain application decisions where we can think about cost takeout and application efficiencies. If when you start to build that business case and tell that strategy, um, it's usually really easy to get um, buy-in at the at kind of the senior levels. Some some very good tips and advice there, and I think it's. I suppose, you know, 
making sure as an ITAM manager that, that you're able to do that, that you know you, you understand your business well enough to, to know what are strategic objectives for your C-suite and you know which stakeholders can you work with to to give that added value. Um, I, th- I think some some great great information there as to how people can go about um, getting started with that. Um, so so I mean that that seems quite positive. Um, you know things the, the the strategic element seems to be going the way that you thought it would. Um, and if anything, I think may well be accelerated by COVID-19. So silver lining, I guess, you know, ITAM may well uh, come out of it stronger. Uh, once we get to the other side of this, whenever, whenever that is for your organisation, because I think that was a good point, Kevin, that some organisations will come out of it sooner than others. So, so maybe you know um different sectors need to be aware of the timing and know when to when to try and do these things internally um but that that kind of nicely leads into the the, the third prediction from from your side which was around the, the kind of economic impact and uh, cost takeout, which I know you just mentioned there. Um, so, so I think really this is around you know, the approach to determining strategy. You know, how do you uh, how do you tackle cost reduction, um, and you know different approaches and, and how you can go about it. So, I, I think Shadi, I think you've got some. Uh, some thoughts to share with us on that element of things. Is that right? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Yes, of course. Um, one of the um, items that came out of that research was, interestingly enough, there were a group of think tanks and, and research organizations, the likes of JP Morgan or your uh, Boston Consulting Group, that actually had predicted a recession of some description in 2019 and 2020. And interestingly, uh, Boston Consulting actually surveyed a cross-section of the just the general public, and they found a whopping 72% of Americans at the time feared a recession was near. Now, we didn't get that recession in form of an e- economic recession. However, instead, uh, you know, obviously, uh, now the downturn and the recession that's predicted is happening as a result of the global pandemic. And no one could have predicted that. And while many businesses are beginning to find their footing after a significant disruption, I think there's general realization that there may not be a complete return to business as normal and that the first step towards building that sound strategy for transformation is to, of course, recognize that the landscape is going to be different and it's going to be volatile, at least for the near to medium um, term. And so they all have to build uh, for flexibility and scalability. And the more agile organizations become, uh, the more they're able to be resilient against these future disruptions. And of course, ITAM is a key part of this transformation because of the, of course, the trustworthy data and the intelligence that it provides to the organizations to be able to make better informed um, investment decisions. 
So as we enter this new downturn, um, an obvious drive to cut, cut spending uh, will put the brakes on many technology investments, including those in ITAM and SLM. And for companies that didn't anticipate this recession or invest um, strate strategically to prepare for it, of course, there's urgent steps that need to be taken. And there's more focus um, on aggressive cost-saving strategies as we uh, see and hear from our, our customers and our, our prospects as well. Uh, so this situation really is making also a great case for why organizations should have strong SLM practices to begin with, uh, because it's all about getting ahead of your roadblocks and finding a strategy that um, really helps your organizations function uh, at its highest level. So there's always going to be uh, causes of downturn, whether they're cyclical, economical, or in this case, a pandemic in nature. It's very important that organizations um, don't wait for that event or the downturn and that have uh, strategies in place that can tackle um, spend and cost optimization both in the short term and the long term. So, of course, we've done hundreds of these types of uh, engagements where we look at the holistic organization strategies, the processes, what they have in place in order to identify where we can make the most impact in terms of cost optimization. So we did something that was quite interesting starting last year, and that was to uh, look at a subset of these uh, results. So we picked, uh, you know, between 45 and 50 of the largest enterprise uh, engagements that we had conducted around the world. And it included, um, of course, the financial and risk benefits resulting from introducing or improving their SLM practices. And as we all agree, it's not a small topic. ITAM is very broad. And of course, the number of savings levers that were identified were, were quite huge. So we started to categorize these um, and uh, both in terms of savings impact as well as uh, the time to value. So in terms of short term, medium term and long terms. And what we did was to use the results and the knowledge that was gained to design our cost takeout program. Now, uh, the timing of this pandemic uh, made this a very, um, I guess, relevant engagement for our customers because what that allowed us to do was to really focus on what was going to make uh, immediate impact. And we consistently have seen over the last few months uh, of this uh, engagements going live between 3 and 15% savings in uh, you know, all areas of software, not just on-premises, but cloud as well. So uh, I guess to your point, you know, having that a strong foundation in place allows a quick identification of those uh, short-term strategies. So specifically, um, uh, if we look at obviously the items and the areas that have cash impact or um, can be achieved rather rapidly, uh, there are two areas that we we uh, identified across the engagements that made. Uh, quick impacts, and one was uh, around focus on uh, adjusting those sort of uh, consumptions and subscription models, especially around SaaS to actual usage and what the users, how the users behaved and how they actually interacted with those software products 
in order to reduce the cost of those SaaS subscriptions, which are typically based on flexible um, contracts. And the other area was proactive renewals. So, uh, of course, our publishers half year or a year end are best times to negotiate and leveraging that ITAM data uh, to our advantage so that we could adjust and make sure that the best licensing mechanisms were used, especially around um, cloud and infrastructure as a service, so Azure and AWS spend were two areas that were primarily uh, seen as being able to deliver quite significant returns. Excellent. I mean, there's some again, some some great points there. I think one of the things that, that was very interesting was about the need for short-term, you know, immediate savings, uh, particularly at the moment. Uh, and I think that's something you know, Oracle agreements, Microsoft agreements, you know, three years, five years, so you know you can do some wonderful things but if if it's not going to kick in for five years or you're not going to have an opportunity to even think about it for three years that doesn't really help now so so, uh, where where you were highlighting the need for those short-term things um you know that ties in very very well with, with what we're seeing and and also where you talked about proactive renewals and, and using that, I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, it's always important, but again, even more so now, because if, if you're taken by surprise by a renewal, you know, mm-hmm. oh, this needs renewing in three weeks, you, you've you missed your window to, to say, right, do we need all these licenses? Do we use them? Is there a different option? Could we look at a third-party vendor, etc.? You kind of basically have to renew them, don't you? So, well, and I would, I would argue, um, Rich, that, you know, in, just to answer those questions that you mentioned, right, um, you need to know, you know, you need to know certain things about your environment. You need to know when your renewals are coming up. You need to know what function these applications might, um, you know, might do, right? You need, to, you need to understand what's in your environment, you know, just, just that part, right? So there's, there's some basic information that you need to understand in order to, do, to drive costs out, right? And so if you can't answer those basic questions, then, then again, you're not in a, what we would call a, a proactive position, right? You're in a reactive stance, and, and that's very troublesome to really try and drive cost savings. But for those companies that, you know, that came into COVID, with you know with their uh, kind of their house in order right they have they they have good sense of their data right what software exists what functions and what you know things like what their renewal dates are then you know you can really start to drive significant value in the organization just just with those data sets alone definitely yeah yeah you make a good point about that proactive reactive difference um, and I think, you know, what I've seen people do is with, with renewals, you know, if you've always renewed for that number for the last four, five, six, seven years, people just kind of assume, well, if we've always renewed for that number, someone will have checked at some point, so we'll just renew for that number again. But actually, if everyone's made that assumption, then, you know, it's all, I suppose it's always worth doing that analysis even if it's a you know a long-standing renewal because you, you never know what might have changed 
within your business, particularly now, you know, uh, people being put on furlough, people being you know, let go, etc. You know, what was a solid number may well be be smaller now. Um, so, so it ties in with that renewal bit. And, and equally, you might not know the vendor landscape and what's changed on their side. So what we have seen over the last few months is a lot of vendors that were traditionally not very open to flexible or different types of agreements um, sort of opened that avenue um, to their customers offering flexible agreements um, or flexible terms or payment terms and financing, um, which is what ultimately all of these result in is basically more cash flow into the business and available cash. They free up cash that otherwise would have been spent and tied up to an agreement that's inflexible and longer term. That's a good point as well. Yeah. About, I suppose, you know, you, you don't get, if you don't ask, um, and ultimately, you know, if the vendors are taking a, a pragmatic approach, it's better for them if their customers pay them a bit less now, but continue to exist and pay them for the next you know, 10, 20 years, than to get their full contractual amount now, but then you know, 20% of their customers go out of business in the next 18 months. And so, so a customer's continued success you know, it is as important to the vendor as it is to the customer almost. Um, so that's a great point about negotiating, even where maybe you haven't been able to before. Uh, I suppose the worst they can do is say no. So you should you should at least try. Um, you know, certainly at the moment, if it's ever going to happen, it's going to be now. Um, so that's that's interesting. You know, the, the the kind of different ways of focusing on. Uh, on reducing cost and you know, the short-term, medium-term, long-term savings, um, w- which kind of lends itself quite nicely to the topic of cloud, which is um, you know ever increasing. And I mean, you know, when you when you made the predictions in 2018, you know, cloud was was big then, and you know, it, now a couple of years later, it, it's you know, uh, seemingly infinite in in the amount of cloud that's going around. So, so I suppose you know, it'd be interesting to see now what what you'd said previously about where you thought cloud was going. And, and I think to me, you know, perhaps more on the IaaS side than, than SaaS. Um, you know, what what did you think was going to happen, and and what are you seeing happen um, in twenty twenty? Yeah, so um, it's interesting because we actually conducted a a C-level and IT manager survey uh, back then uh, in order to understand priorities and concerns that they were facing, especially around um, software spend. And what came out of that survey was uh, nearly half of 43% of the respondents felt that the higher costs were... Uh, in cloud spend and IaaS in particular were the number one concerns uh, that they had, which sort of, um, I guess, made them think twice about migrating further workloads to cloud or leveraging it more um, as a as an offering. Um, Gartner also found that 28% of spending in key IT segments will shift to cloud 
by 2022. Now we could argue that's almost certainly going to be higher. Um, so, and that equates to about 1.3 trillion in IT spending being either directly or indirectly affected by the move to the cloud for those counting. Now, of course, cloud services are especially right now very crucial in keeping your software state aligned with your business needs. It's very important, uh, which ultimately um, that alignment and, and that management of the consumption and the, uh, the tagging of the resources leads to ultimately cost savings. Um, in the last few months, we've seen a massive transition and spike in consumption of cloud services as every organization has had to provide technology to their remote users at speed and with little due diligence on security implications, compliance implications, or proper capacity planning, let alone negotiating the contracts and doing the due diligence on those. I mean, I think um, on, so on that, yeah. you know, um, Satya Nadella from Microsoft a, a, a couple of months ago said that they've seen... I think you said two years of digital transformation in two months. And, you know, <laughs> and that's a, incredible. A lot of that will have been you know, Azure and things. So to your point, if you're doing two years worth of work in two months, you're absolutely, you know, you're, you're cutting corners, you're not following processes, you're just doing things and you'll, you'll sort it out later. But then, you know, does later ever come? Um, exactly. And, and, and this is it. it. They went into survival mode. So do what we've got to do to give our users the, the access to the applications and the tools they need to do their jobs at the expense of security and potential, um, you know, sprawling in, in, in spending in those types of investments and services. Um, one of our leaders, actually our North American leader, um, described it last week in a session and she compared the scenario to throwing paint at the wall and then trying to make a nice canvas out of it, which is what companies <laughs> are trying, trying to do at the moment. Um, and it, it's painful. Uh, that's been sprawl uh, and it's being felt at right now as, as every organization is coming out of that initial shock period. And now we need to right size without impacting, of course, the user experience or so slowing down the speed at which they get access to the right technology, which is something that a lot of us working from home have gotten used to. Um, my husband works for a large, a large uh, bank, in fact, and he needed his access to his Bloomberg, which is an ex exceptionally expensive piece of hardware uh, software um, and is only available on the trading floor but of course they had to make you know that available which which would have come at a substantial cost to that organization i'd hate to think how much they spent on it <laughs> and um you know there's there's no end to this you know there's there's no prediction on when it's going to end or how they can um, potentially shift back if ever uh, to what it was before it's probably not going to be easily accepted. So as organizations are slowly starting to get prepared for that return to business, of course, they need to think of the types of scalable solution that they need to move forward. Um, and uh, it's very important that IT teams uh, start to uh, look at that cloud spend and start to ask themselves, 
what their longer term cloud strategy is, how should cloud investments be allocated across the business in terms of the, the chargebacks and the costs to the organization, and, and whether they're really optimizing that spend and ensuring a lean and right size transition, more importantly, as opposed to a simple lift and shift gain. Um, and of course, they need to keep track of those investments and see how they're invest, uh, how they're performing over a period. And and more importantly, and going back to our licensing models, whether they're leveraging every licensing mechanism um, in order to make sure that it's not just right sized, but their cloud environments are right costed from a licensing perspective. So uh, this current economic uh, situation is going to continue and, and cost savings in the cloud are going to be more and more of a major focus as we're currently seeing with our customers. Um, our cloud cost optimization offering, which is a, a short-term engagement focusing on both two aspects, is 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 one of our, uh, I guess, most sought-after engagements because it's short-term and it's high impact from a from a savings perspective. Uh, so yeah, this is this is really uh, what the focus is in order to help customers really focus and and tackle this issue on both sides, uh, because that's how they're going to get the maximum value, ensuring it's right sized from a capacity perspective as well as right costed from a licensing perspective and leverage any mechanism that's available to them, especially around Azure reserved instances, test and dev licenses, and so on. Um, to make sure that they're not spending more need to be. Totally, yeah. I think I completely agree with that. That you know the the opportunity to spend more than you meant to, you know, uh, you know, the the all, almost unlimited in the cloud. You know, so many different ways, um, and it's a it's a constant thing. You know, it's not like with on-premises software where, to a large degree, you know, once you've worked out what you need. You've optimized it. You buy it on your contracts, and then you're, you know, to a degree, you're kind of sorted. With cloud, what is working perfectly well today might not be next week. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago there was a, a story uh, about Netflix, and you know they use cloud for all, all their development and, and production systems, and it, it was something one of the developers made a little change to how they deployed some things um, and ultimately they ended up running 10,000 VMs more than they anticipated for 24 hours in the cloud. Um, so so the, the, you know, things like that with the cloud, you know, if something like that's happened and you've not picked up on it, if, if you go and do the cost optimization, you can save that money tomorrow. You know, it's not... It's not like saving it next year or when you do your renewal. It's it's immediate, which, as you say, you know, is is the name of the game at the moment. You know, companies need immediate savings, uh, and I, I think cloud definitely represents, you know, the the biggest opportunity for for savings in, in many organisations, and the the quickest you know the quickest ROI. You know, to to go back to to some of the earlier points, you can. Um, you know, you can align that with your, your business objectives and ITAM can say, look, because you know, what, what I see as well actually is many organizations, ITAM aren't necessarily involved 
with, with the cloud side, the cost management, you know, it, it's perhaps being looked after by the more technical teams. Um, and, and I think there is a good opportunity for ITAM to say to the C-suite, look, we're all about saving costs, optimizing stuff. Let me get involved with this, you know, and we can save, if we can save 10% in three weeks, you know, that will equal X money that, that you will have, in, you know, in the bank next month. Um, I, I think uh, that proactive approach from ITAM around cloud, there's um, a, a lot of positive things that can come out of it at the moment, definitely. Yep. And again, uh, another interesting Gartner publication that came out at the end of 2018 um, was all centered around uh, having strategic um, you know, sound discipline to be able to manage that um, the dramatic increase in the in crowd spending was key and core, and that the you know, organisations should be starting to uh, look at those cloud management platforms and extensions of their SAM technologies. Of course, a lot of um, companies over the last year that we've been speaking to are a little bit underwhelmed by some of the capabilities and the functionalities that they're seeing in terms of cloud management tooling in the market, but that's definitely been ramping up and in line with it, the SAM technologies are ramping up their cloud management functionalities in order to be able to address this very topic. Last year at one of our SAM forum events, when we surveyed the customers on who manages cloud spend, uh, you know, the majority of the 30-odd organizations that were represented in the room in fact, 80% of them answered the question, I don't know. Uh, earlier this year, when we asked the same question, uh, of course, that was much smaller number, and it primarily sat with uh, SAM team, and that was to do with the, I guess, the maturity of their practices and the fact that it's definitely under the radar. And more and more, we get asked questions uh, from our uh, you know, managed service clients, especially around SAM tool functionalities, whether Flexera or Snow or ServiceNow or others, are able to, to provide them with the, the additional requirements, especially around um, infrastructure as a service. So there's definitely um, a ramp up in, in the realization that this needs to be treated just as traditional SAM uh, was for on-premises. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. You know, ITAM have been doing these things on-premises for you know, decades now and most of them you know, are transferable skills to, to managing the cloud. Yeah, some things are a little bit different and, and some parts of it are new, but I, I think ITAM can bring a lot of value to, uh, to, to managing cloud. Um, so, so I think certainly you know, looking at um, what you were saying in 2018 and, and what we're saying now, I think you know, it, cloud is still growing, the spend is getting bigger, the potential for waste is getting bigger, the opportunity then to save money is bigger, uh, and it's about having a, a strategy uh, to, to do that, and I guess as well internally being uh, empowered as the ITAM team to, to get involved with cloud costs. Um, there's a lot to, lot to be done there, certainly. Um, so... I mean, we, we could be here for, for hours and hours talking about cloud optimization. Um, so, unfortunately, we should, uh, we should probably move on to the, the kind of final prediction, which is 
you know, quite quite an exciting one, in my opinion. Uh, it's the you know the rise of the robots. Um, you know, robotic process automation (RPA), artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, you know, all, all these kind of cool things. You know, what do they mean for the world of ITAM? And I think for me, there there are two sides of it. You know, there's RPA in your environment. You know things like Microsoft Power Platform, etc., that you have to try and manage, and and the licensing things that that might bring with it. But also the other side is how can RPA and AI benefit ITAM through automation, etc. Uh, and I I believe that's the side that you were were predicting uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so it would be very interesting to see you know what you were thinking a couple of years ago. And how you're seeing that reflected at the moment in in terms of robots? Yeah, um, so it, it's interesting. So when I I go back about maybe almost a decade now, and I, as I was uh, working for this large telecom company, and they're kind of supporting their ITAM function, even you know a decade ago, um, they were starting to look at uh, robotic process automation. Um, in their ITEM function. So, you know, repetitive tasks, things like, um, you know, a lot of their invoicing functionality, purchase ordering, catalog management, um, even in title management, you know, those things that, um, that you do over and over, um, you know, that are this repetitive can, can now be automated with RPA, right? And that was, again, that, this isn't necessarily new technology. Um, this existed a while ago, right? So um, even then they were starting to, to experiment with it. Um, I checked in on them not, uh, not more than about a year ago and their initiatives had, um, had only increased, right? And so you know, it's but but again, I I'm fortunate because I get to talk to hundreds of customers every year about where they are, and and to be honest, I don't see a lot of companies talking about RPA quite yet. Um, the the prediction that we made back in 2018 was that um, this would eventually start to increase, and I do think I do think in certain organizations, especially the larger enterprises, um, RPA is becoming um, you know, uh, the, uh, not the norm, but it's not abnormal, right? Um, in fact, Software One, we have our own, we bought a company in Latin America that does um, AI work and uh, RPA, right? So there's more and more companies that are getting into the space. There, there's going to be more and more pressure to and, and applications of these technologies uh, throughout uh, all, you know, all areas of the business, I would imagine ITAM and SAM are, are definitely going to um, are going to be increasing. We see this in the, some of the statistics. I think um, uh, AI Multiple, one of the the um, the companies looking at this, talked about um, software asset management and having predictive analytics and intelligent user interactions. So those predictive analytics being able to surface recommendations back to end users using AI. I think you're going to see more and more of that. Um, you're going to see more and more of AI helping organizations be able to search through data to find out which variables um, are most influential um, and enabling smarter and more efficient buying decisions and buying processes. And so I think that's, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, again, this one, I think 
especially with COVID. Um, this is more of a longer term hypothesis. Um, I think we are seeing um, the just, you know, we're at the early stages of RPA and AI. But again, if you, if you listen to, you know, the Elon Musk of the world and others, right, AI is going to consume the world at some point. Now, I, I don't necessarily agree that it's going to consume all and everything, but I, I do believe that, um, you know, in the next decade, it, it's going to uh, it's going to impact a lot of the areas that we're very familiar with. And I think we're going to see more and more of that activity in, uh, in ITAM and SAM. Completely agree with you there, Kevin. Um, you know, I, I'm seeing, you know, where you were saying about companies getting into it, you know, Microsoft's uh, have recently added some new RPA licenses. They've bought an RPA company. I think IBM bought one recently as well. Um, so, you know, they're, they're looking at it from their technology perspective. Um, and I think, you know, if, it's, if it works for the other parts of the business, it works for ITAM. And, you know, ITAM with its processes, um, you know, th there's quite a, a number of relatively repetitive things that have to be done, but they're not necessarily, you know, high value. You know, there's a few things that you can think of that, that lend themselves to being automated. Um, and, I, and I guess, again, it depends on the organization and the people as to the, the, the speed of that adoption. But I, I completely agree with you that it, it seems to be the way forward. Um, and it will be, you know, if we do this again in, if we did it in another two years, you know, I, I don't know that we would be, particularly further along that path as an industry you know some more people would be doing it but i think it would still be um classed as a bit niche but there'll come a point where all of a sudden you know if you're not automating your item functions and processes people will you know be like when you say that you don't use cloud now and everyone goes what really it'll be the same as that for ipa in you know a number of years yeah, I mean, if you know, we have our own platform called Peer Cloud, and and even even we're beginning to to be able to mine data very quickly and surface unique recommendations back to customers, you know, almost instantaneously, right? So, so we're leveraging, you know, these whether you want to call it a data lake or all this business intelligence that sits in the background for customers, and we're leveraging some of that information to do some of that predictive analytics work. Um, some of those recommendations around what they should do with software and, and even some of the products that we use today for a lot of our customers, you know, the Flexeras, the Snows of the world, they, they're now starting to get into to helping customers uh, govern. You know, Shadi talked about the cloud governance, right? That's a huge topic, right, of, you know, how do you begin to put rules and automated engines around how you govern the cloud, right? When you When there's idle instances, when there's, uh, you know, unattached storage where there's, um, you know, where, where people aren't using VMs the way that they should or have oversized them. How do you begin to look at that information, make smart um, decisions that can be automated and reconfigure that, you know, that environment for them um, in, in real time? And that, those are the types of things that are, that are available today or, or in coming in the near future. And, you know, again, we had this conversation in five or 10 years. I'm sure, uh, you know, this is definitely going to be one of the topics we're talking about. 
Definitely, yeah, and you know those things all sound very good. You know, the the they, they're all. It's one of those examples of you know technology, not for technology's sake, but but you know it genuinely feels like it will bring value to to everyone. So so I'm I'm quite excited. You know, partly from the from from the other side, you know, the licensing uh, expert in me is, is excited to see the the convoluted programs that that come out from robots in the next five or ten years um you know that would be interesting but equally you know the the, the itam side of, of speeding things up and uh freeing humans up to do more strategic things you know that that's exciting as well um so i think that will be be really interesting to see where it where it takes us all um so i guess you know robots is, is a great place to to kind of finish on um so I suppose as a as a kind of wrap up, you know, we've touched on a number of topics. Uh, you know, the ROI of SAM, cost reduction, cloud, robots, all, all sorts of things. Um, what would your, uh, you know, for those people listening, your kind of I- immediate advice? You know, almost a kind of takeaway for them as something to do in the near term, um, you know, to help them with some of these things that we've spoken about, um, what, what would you say to everyone out there? I guess overall, as you mentioned, Rich, our, our predictions were on track. So, uh, you know, we're still uh, very much seeing that uh, a ramp up in and a broadening of ITAM activities and disciplines uh, from on-premises to the cloud. And it's, um, it, it's good to see that it is being seen more and more strategic uh, in, in more organizations that we talk to. Um, so if there's, if there's anything that these predictions have taught us, it's that you should always uh, stay prepared for the future and, and don't hesitate to enlist the list of uh, the help of partners to really help you get on that journey. Because as we saw, it's, it's a very broad discipline and uh, it's in order to get the right returns and and be focused uh, in terms of where it's going to make impact and how you're going to see the ROI. It's important that you have a holistic and strategic view across the various areas and be able to prioritize, uh, you know, short, medium, and long term what needs to be done in order to to see the strongest um, return on investment and optimization. That would be, I guess, my takeaway. Yeah, my, my takeaway is somewhat similar. Um, I see far too many customers that, and, and you know, non-customers even, that uh, don't really have a strategy, a well-baked strategy for where they want to take their, their ITAM or their SAM program. Um, oftentimes, again, it's, it's very reactive. Um, it's some responding to something and therefore I need, you know, and they also think that the tools, if I go out and I buy this, you know, this piece of technology, um, I'm going to solve all my problems. And unfortunately, that is a recipe for disaster, right? It's the whole, uh, the whole equation here is people process and technology that makes you know, this function work and work really well for companies. Um, so I would challenge companies to think strategically, um, approach it in a very methodical way, make sure that you understand um, again, people, process, and technology. How, what does is, what is your current state look like? What is your future state that you desire as an organization? 
And I would also challenge them um, to elevate the conversation, right? Come at it from a strategic standpoint as opposed to just a bean counting mentality. Elevate the conversation, make sure you have your C-suite involved, backed as a, as a key stakeholder. And um, I think if you do those things, you're going to be successful and you will, you will achieve the ROI because it's there. Awesome. I like that. That is... Uh... As a, a strong finish, um, I, I think you know, some great advice for, from both of you there, uh, and hopefully, you know, even if the people out there, even if you're doing some of these things, maybe maybe this will will give you those those missing pieces of the puzzle uh, that that you can use to to help you know go back into the office, not necessarily physically, of course, at the moment, but but at least virtually, and um, you know update some of your plans and, and make new plans to, to drive the, the, the growth of ITAM within your organization going forwards. So thank you very much uh, to both of you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Shadi. Uh, I've re really enjoyed that. It's been, been fascinating. There's some wonderful things that we've touched on. Um, so, so yeah, thank you both for, for joining me. Thank you everyone out there for, for your time, for listening. If there's any questions, you know, feel free to um, e email us. And if I can't answer them, I'll pass them on and um, we'll get answers back to you. So, yeah, thank you, everyone. And uh, I will see you all on the next podcast. Cheers. Bye.